0: Bruce Cook is honored to have you join his conversations with people committed to talking with heart and brain functions in full operating gear. No spin, no agenda, just authentic conversation on just about anything. Welcome to the Bruce Cook Conversation. Dr. David Millette, Chief of Neurological Sciences at Hogue Hospital, reveals the truth about epilepsy, the causes, the cures, and the future for those dealing with seizures. More than half a million Americans face this challenge daily. Guess what? Epilepsy is rarely genetic, almost always environmentally linked. The Bruce Cook Conversation with your host, Bruce Cook. Trending now. Here's your host, Bruce Cook. Brought to you by the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute at Hogue.
1: And good evening. Radio family, it's Bruce Cook, and it's time for the conversation, our Sunday night gathering here on radio. You know, the mantra on this hour, if you're a listener, and hope, hopefully you are, and I'm honored that you are, the mantra is personal growth. No matter what we're going to talk about, from sports to politics, religion, business, money, whatever it is, family, kids... The ideal is to learn something and to be better, to grow, to be a better person, to find a path that is different, that helps with change, that results in some positive effect. Tonight, we're doing health, and I've got a great guest coming on in just a few minutes. We're talking about something that's very specific, and maybe it won't apply or appeal to every listener that is driving in their car or listening to their radio at home tonight, but I'll bet that you know somebody that is suffering from what we're going to talk about, and it might be a child, and it might be an older person, and it might be just you and your family. We're going to talk about a neurological problem that is the fourth largest problem in neurology in the United States behind such things as migraine headaches, strokes, Alzheimer's disease, and that is epilepsy, ladies and gentlemen. I bet you don't or didn't know that there are more than a half a million people in our country that are fighting various forms of epilepsy. And I also bet you didn't know what the causes are, and how to fix it, and how to make it better. So tonight, just now, I'm going to introduce you to Dr. David Millett. David is a UCLA and University of Chicago-trained neurologist. Today, he is with Hoag Hospital in Newport Beach. He is the Chief of Neurological Sciences at Hoag and has been so since 2017. Prior to that, he was at the Keck School of Medicine at USC and at UCLA. His research is well documented nationally. He is honored with many awards in his field and his expertise is welcomed here tonight. Dr. Millette, are you there?
2: I am, Bruce. Thanks for having me on.
1: It's, it's so great to have you on. Uh, I've gotten to know you via email this week, but we've never actually spoken. So, this is a treat for me.
2: Let's start. Good. Maybe the first of some conversations to, for the future. Yeah. Great. Like Great.
1: Great. Let's start with what is your professional background? What made you decide when you were going to become a doctor? I want to study neurology. I want to be a neurologist and I want to specialize in epilepsy. I think. I think a lot of people want to know how their doctor got to be the doctor of whatever field he or she is in.
2: It's a great question. Um, It's a question I get asked um, quite regularly. Um, So um, in residency, as we are training in our profession, whether that's cardiology or neurology or internal medicine, everybody uh, rotates through a number of subspecialty areas. And so for neurology, uh, those subspecialty areas are things like multiple sclerosis and stroke and headache and epilepsy. And when I got to the epilepsy rotation, I had what I have referred to in my uh, life after that as an epiphany. Um, I had a sudden realization uh, that in the middle of that those that two week rotation in the middle sitting in the middle of epilepsy surgical case conference, which it was for me at that time one of the most bewildering experiences that I had ever had. That there was nothing else in the world uh, that I could really do uh, with the rest of my life. Why was it bewilder-
1: most- Why was it so bewildering? What was bewildering?
2: Well case conference, which most epilepsy programs have on a weekly basis, is the opportunity to review comprehensively all aspects of, uh, of a patient's disease state. So we'll talk about their medical history, uh, what their, when their seizures began, what their seizures are like, do they have an aura or warning before their seizures. Then we'll actually watch their seizures because most of our programs have uh, dedicated uh, medical units where we admit patients to the hospital, oftentimes take them off of their medications and capture seizures. So we actually have their seizures on video. We watch their seizures. And then we study the electrical patterns of their seizures because they're hooked up on uh, to EEG, an electroencephalogram or brainwave study during their seizures. So once we've reviewed the history and watch their seizures and study the EEG, then we start looking at the imaging. So we have high quality MRI, we have PET scans, we have even fancier scans than that. And we talk about their neuropsychological profile because everybody goes through a neuropsychological assessment. So we we talk about what parts of their brains are working well, and what parts of their brains are perhaps not working well because there's a scar or tumor or malformation that that's what's giving off the seizures so we we look at all of these different aspects uh independent sets of data and come to a conclusion about what's the best course of action usually in the form of a surgical procedure for that patient um and uh and to a to an a, a a first year neurology resident that was a bewildering um, uh, extravaganza of data at the time, but but it, I, I loved it, and I love every week of it. <laughs> now now I I help to run those case conferences, and it's amazing. It's an amazing experience.
1: Well, that light bulb went on. It sure did, and and uh, and you continue to make a difference. But let me ask you this: most people, if they if they're not familiar with epilepsy or f- seizures, and we'll talk more about that in a second. But if they see someone. Have a seizure and they aren't experienced with it. It is very frightening, and the natural assumption is this person is very ill and will die or could die. But I understand that's not necessarily true. That that with medications, seizure seizures, excuse me, uh, in in many cases, are very treatable.
2: That, that's true. That's absolutely true, um, Bruce. Uh, um, to just back up to um, one of the things you said a moment ago, it, it's true that seizures, for the um, the first time that anyone has experienced a seizure, particularly if it's what we call a generalized tonic-chronic or a grand mal seizure, it is a terrifying experience. Um, um, the The forceful muscle contractions and... Uh, disordered breathing and oftentimes the foaming at the mouth and, and the deviation of the eyes can be, can be quite terrifying. Um, and, it, and it usually lasts about 30 seconds to a minute, and then, um, and then the patient uh, gradually recovers. Um, when you talk about managing epilepsy, about two-thirds of all uh, patients with epilepsy can be well-controlled. With medication, um, so so in, indeed, even though uh, patients will often uh, come to medical attention uh, in the first place due to one of these sort of massive and terrifying um, events that you know that's witnessed by their 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 spouse or their children or their friends or their classmates, um, uh, most of the time those seizures can be effectively controlled with medication.
1: Is it true that? For some reason, the epilepsy diagnosis is often in a, in an infant or an older person, but not necessarily someone in midlife. I don't understand that. Why would that be?
2: Well, um, there's many of the causes of epilepsy. Um, uh, there are many causes of epilepsy, and, and so... When you break down the different um, underlying uh, causes or etiologies of epilepsy, uh, many of them have to do with genetics uh, or events that occur um, early in life, um, oftentimes uh, in the womb during uh, uh, during the second or third trimester, um, or in or in the first months of life. So, a- any type of infection, trauma. Um, long or difficult labor and delivery that may uh, affect the delivery of oxygen to the brain of the, uh, of the infant, um, those, all of those things can, can result in seizures quite, quite early in life. Um, and then um, later on in life, uh, events basically wear and tear, things like uh, traumatic brain injury, um, even mild traumatic brain injury and particularly repeated uh, stroke, brain tumors, um, dementia, uh, Parkinson's disease, any kind of neurological or neurodegenerative disorder can have a significantly increased risk of, um, of seizures and epilepsy associated with it. So, for example, 10% of patients um, who suffer a stroke will ultimately go on to experience seizures following that stroke, uh, what, we, what re- we refer to as post-stroke epilepsy. Uh, Alzheimer's dementia about 13 times uh, the uh, 13 times higher of an incidence of epilepsy compared to uh, the the normal age-matched individuals. So these you know these events that occur over the course of one's lifetime usually translates into a higher risk of seizures and epilepsy as we um, are as we get older.
1: As we are on a sports radio station here, I have to bring up what about athletics? What about head injury? I know that that's a big taboo subject in the world of athletics because there's a lot of divergent opinion on cause and effect but i understand that head injury of any kind i mean a person could of any age i guess could fall down and hit their head in such a way and that might trigger epilepsy am i correct and what about sports what about repeated knocking of the brain
2: that so (laughs) you're um you're uh, preaching to a bit of a choir here. Um, so I have two boys, uh, age 13 and 15. that both play ice hockey. So I, I've seen my fair share and 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 uh, of of concussions, and um, and I, I certainly it is certainly something that I think about in my own you know for my own children and 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 for my patients.
1: A neurologist um, with two kids playing hockey—that's pretty brave.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm. <laughs> It is. It's, uh, Are you I sure like you're not
1: it. sitting on the sidelines, chewing on your nails?
2: I, I am some of the games. Uh, some, yeah, some of them I, I have to. Some of the most of the practices I, I just I, I can't watch too much. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, but yes. Um, uh, there is a significant risk of, uh, of uh, seizures and epilepsy following uh, brain injury. So we, we typically think about uh, traumatic brain injury um, in three categories, mild, moderate, and severe. That, that tends to relate to, uh, number one, how long uh, the, the individual is unconscious for, if it's less than 30 minutes, uh, more than 30 minutes up to a day or longer than a day. Um, and then whether there's any, um, any kind of any evidence of uh, damage to the brain on imaging. So, for example, a contusion or bruise um, or if there's any bleeding in the brain, even with a mild, with a mild form of traumatic brain injury. So uh, confusion or loss of consciousness for less than 30 minutes, there's about a 1.5 increased risk of epilepsy with severe traumatic brain injury. So, and, and this could be either, a, a, you know, a youngster in sports um, uh, or it could be an, a, an older person who uh, trips and falls down a staircase uh, or, or, or on a curb um, or gets thrown from a horse. I have patients um, who have had uh, developed epilepsy following, uh, you know, f- following uh, in- injuries uh, from, you know, riding horses even. Um, th- that, w- that risk is significantly elevated, 17 times the normal population. So, um, so, yes, indeed. Um, so wear and tear and, and, it, and those repetitive brain injuries as well as the more significant ones can have a significant increased risk of epilepsy associated with them.
1: Dr. Millett, we have to take our first break. Uh, ladies and gentlemen listening tonight, it's Bruce Cook. It's the conversation on KLAA Radio. Dr. David Millett, Hogue Hospital Neurologist, is on, and we're exploring... Epilepsy, what it is, how to deal with it, what to know. Don't go away. We've got so much more to talk about. We'll be right back.
3: Angels Radio, AM 830. At the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute, the Hoag Epilepsy Program is accredited by the National Association of Epilepsy Centers as a Level 4 Epilepsy Center. This means that our experts provide the highest level care for patients with complex epilepsy. Our patient-centered approach to epilepsy treatment combined with state-of-the-art technology, including robotics and laser ablation, ensure the best possible outcomes for our patients. To learn more or for an evaluation, call 949-966-0243 or visit hoag.org forward slash epilepsy care.
2: Mike Capozio here, general manager of Rotolo Chevrolet. A handshake, a thing of the past. A hug, that's a no-no. Wearing a mask, part of our wardrobe. Things change, but there's some things that will never change, like Rotolo's customer experience that's second to none. Great deals, Chevy sales leader in California for eight years in a row. You know, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Go to Rotolo.com or come on down and join the fun at Rotolo Chevrolet. Chevy, find new roads. Since the Wall Street
0: meltdown of 2008, we've endured many shocks and emergencies. Refinancing is easy when things are stable, but when the next shock hits and you really need money, like you lose your job or your house is destroyed, it may be challenging to refinance. Owning has a suggestion. You'll sleep soundly at night if you give yourself a safety net before the next storm strikes. Refine now and put 100k in your bank account mortgage rates are near all-time lows. And remember, mortgage interest can be tax-deductible, unlike many other forms of debt. With home value appreciation over the last few years, refinancing to take cash out is a no-brainer with Owning. Refinance with Owning and be prepared for whatever life throws at you. You'll sleep soundly. Call eight three three two 2 owning or go to Owning.com.
3: Owning Corporation, licensed by the Department of Financial Protection and Innovation under the California Residential Mortgage Lending Act. NMLS 1797976. Guaranteed rate, Inc., NMLS 2611. Call 833 833-852-6476. 64 for more information owning does not provide tax advice subject to credit approval that's 833
0: 2 owning or owning.com
2: Man, how can you afford gas for that big SUV? I pay less for gas than everyone else. I got the free GetUpside Gas app
3: and get up to 25 cents a gallon cash back every time I buy gas.
2: Hold on, hold on, hold on. You're getting up to 25 cents off a gallon with the free GetUpside Gas app while I'm paying full price? You know it. People earned over a million dollars last year. You just got to take a picture of your gas receipt
3: and bam, up to 25 cents a gallon cash back.
2: You don't have to tell me twice. I'm downloading the free Get Upside Gas app now. Download the free Get Upside app now
0: in the App Store or Google Play. To save up to 25 cents a gallon when you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for a 50 cent a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's up to 75 cents a gallon on your next tank. Just download the free GetUpside app at the App Store or Google Play and use promo code CAR. Save money on gas on every fill up. Just download the free GetUpside app and use promo code CAR. That's C A R. Visit GetUpside.com for terms. Angels Radio. AMA 30. I ran out of tears when I was 18, so nobody made me but the main street. cause too many people think they made me. Well, they and
1: we made, are back, ladies and gentlemen. Bruce Cook, so The funny. Conversation, Angels Radio, AMA 30. My guest joining me tonight in conversation, Dr. David Millette, Chief of Neurological Sciences at Hogue Hospital. Before break, we've been talking a lot about the different aspects of epilepsy, which is our subject tonight, if you're just tuning in. Hopefully you've heard so much of what we've already discussed. But we haven't really hit on a key question that I wanted to ask in the first segment, and that is I started to ask about people being horrified by seeing someone have a seizure. But how dangerous is it? Can somebody die from a
2: seizure so that's, a, that's a, an excellent question and, and an important question to recognize. Uh, most, most seizures are brief and um, don't uh, present any immediate uh, threat to the patient. Um, however, having said that, there is uh, a chance that patients with epileptic seizures can, um, can die of a seizure. Um, the chance of uh, dying from a seizure uh, with the first or the second seizure is quite low, um, but about one in a thousand persons with epilepsy uh, will over the course of their disease die unexpectedly from a seizure. That risk is actually substantially higher if you are on medications and continue to uh, experience breakthrough uh, convulsions and in particular nocturnal seizures or seizures from sleep. so um, up to about one in a hundred patients in that category will um, unfortunately succumb to their um, to their disease to epilepsy. Is it ever um, the cu-
1: of, I'm sorry, you, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Is it ever curable? Can it ever be put aside, or is it, it with is. you forever?
2: Um, well, so that's a that's, it. Sort of comes down to what your definition of the term cure is. Um, as I mentioned in the first segment, about uh, two-thirds of patients can have seizures uh, managed uh, with anti-seizure medications, which means that they will go a year or more seizure-free if they, um, if they take their medications on a regular basis. But you might say, well, hey, doc, this, the medications are really just a band-aid for the underlying whatever it is that's causing the seizures, the malformation or the scar um, or the stroke, um, whatever it is. And, uh, and that's true. So um, in most cases, though, we, we um, accept that the Band-Aid will be good enough, um, and as long as the seizures can be well-controlled, we don't often go further than that. But if, if, if there is not an adequate Band-Aid, that is to say that if patients have tried one, two, three um, or more medications um, and continue to experience breakthrough seizures um, or side effects to those medications, we do often contemplate um, a more um, definitive treatment that that is often the surgical treatment, which can provide long-term cure. Um, I should also mention that there's a significant number of patients that can outgrow their epilepsy.
1: What does so that mean? Are, what does well, that mean? How do you outgrow it?
2: So there are um, a number of syndromes, of epileptic syndromes, that that, that begin in childhood. Um, for example, what we refer to as childhood absence epilepsy. Absence just refers to what you might think it is, absence. The absence of the per, of the child. Um, There's a the brief staring spell that usually begin at the age of five or six, um, and and they they go away on their own by about ten or eleven. Um, in about eighty or ninety percent of patients, so that's a self limited or what we used to call a benign epilepsy syndrome. Um, there are a couple of others, um, and and there are there are a number of patients that will have seizures um, that begin either in childhood. Or in adolescence, that will, at some point in time, outgrow them. Sometimes after just a few years, sometimes in their uh, in their 30s or 40s, we can take them off of medications, and they will no longer have seizures. But um, but it, it, it's a it is a, a minority for the focal epilepsies. Um, those are the ones that are typically associated with scars or brain malformations. Can so a person genetic epilepsies can be outgrown much more easily?
1: Can a person okay. afflicted with epilepsy live a normal lifespan time-wise, or is there a restriction given the trauma effect of having to deal with this for decades?
2: So as long as seizures are well-controlled, almost all aspects of their lives uh, can normalize. That is to say, they can um, go to school, uh, high, higher education, advanced degrees, um, uh, they, can, uh, they can marry, they can drive, they can work, uh, they can support their families, and they can, um, and they can live out a, a normal life. Um, the, um, the course or the complication that begins to threaten their well-being, um, both in terms of their abilities to do all of those things and also their ability to live out a normal life, has to do with whether or not their, their seizures can be controlled with medications or not. Um, once patients begin to suffer breakthrough seizures, then it really does become imperative to get them under control with either additional medications or adjustments in medications or, or surgical intervention in order to restore their well-being in their lives um, and make sure that they can live out as long of a life as possible.
1: I want to talk about the surgical intervention in a minute, but I have a few more questions I've got to ask about this. You mentioned that, that, A patient can have a normal life. They can marry, et cetera. What about the idea that if this is a hereditary situation, would they or could they or should they have children?
2: So uh, excellent question. There's a a very small percentage of epilepsy that is hereditary in the way that you are um, discussing it um, today. Um, so there are many forms of epilepsy that are genetic. That is to say, there is we can identify a um, a genetic some kind of a genetic uh, variation or mutation as uh, that was the old terminology that, that we think um, contributes to their um, to their disease. But um, but in most cases, that is not passed on um, from uh, from parent to child. So there's about a, in the genetic epilepsies, which in and of itself is a minority of the epilepsies. There's only about a five percent chance of passing on um, of passing on that epilepsy. So so when you look at at, at epilepsy, um, sort of the, uh, um, all patients, both the both the genetic ones and then the non-genetic ones, the ones that are associated with autism or with um, or with a stroke or, or or a scar in the brain, there's a, there's a, probably about a one percent chance of having um, of having a, a, a child that is affected.
1: That's very interesting. What I'm hearing is is that it primarily is then an environmental situation where something has occurred to create that electro uh, sensation in the brain. Am I am I hearing you
2: correctly? That's absolutely correct. That is that is one hundred percent interesting. It is, it is often something that happens to the patient, um, the person, um, either uh, very early in life, um, or you know, or, or, or during childhood, during adolescence, or during adulthood. As you that, said, um,
1: it could even happen in the womb. Why I suppose a, a baby or an infant would get it before two years of age.
2: Yes, indeed. Um, so, so what you can unfortunately you can have strokes and infections and. Um, and even, and even, you know, even uh, traumatic brain injury um, at, at that that early of an age. Sure.
1: Would an OBGYN be able to detect that in a pregnant woman and have her see a doctor such as you at that point, or is that not possible?
2: Um, I don't think that is routinely possible at this point in time. So um, we, we we still make the diagnosis of epilepsy based on seizures and. Um, and as any um, pediatric epileptologist, and I'll, I'll, I will make the point that, that the path to becoming a, a, a pediatric epileptologist is quite different from adulthood, from going into it as an adult specialist, um, the, the, the um, study of seizures and epilepsy in children is, 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 a, is a somewhat different. And seizures can be quite difficult to detect um, in neonates and, and infants. The, the art of, of diagnosis and management um, of young children um, is, a, um, is a whole world unto itself that's um, quite challenging.
1: There must be warning signs, are there? Would somebody see something coming?
2: So, yes, um, but sometimes those warning signs don't... Um, um, aren't recognized as such until after the first big seizure. Um, I have many times uh, seen a patient after their first convulsion or grand mal seizure and asked them, Well, what do you have? Do you remember feeling strange before this big event, uh, before you lost consciousness? And they'll describe some very strange feelings that they, that they did have, and I'll ask them, well, have you ever had those before? And you'd be surprised. Um, I've had patients that have had 20 or 30 years of these feelings that have never come to medical attention, have never um, brought a diagnosis or been explained to them, and they just, they just assume this is what everybody else experiences. Um, So, uh, I'll give you an example that temporal lobe epilepsy, which is one of the most common forms of epilepsy, those seizures are often heralded or begin with a feeling of intense deja vu or familiarity, um, sometimes feeling as if you're in a dream, um, and that's often associated also with um, an unusual feeling in the stomach, sometimes nausea or falling sensation, strange smell or taste. And patients can have these fleeting symptoms for years that occur once a month, once a quarter, um, a few times a year, and never think much of them until their first seizure. And then it becomes obvious in retrospect that they've had seizures for quite a long period of time, but they've been very mild and have never been diagnosed as such.
1: Boy, that's interesting. I have those symptoms every night about 3 in the morning. I'm going to have to call for a specialty mm-hmm. examination.
2: I, I was going to say, make an appointment next week.
1: <laughs> Talk a little bit about the difference between mild and severe. You touched on that a little bit. Um, is there anything that anybody should know to know the difference and, and what, I sh- what person should do for mild versus severe?
2: Well, seizures, Bruce, seizures can look like almost anything. Um, seizures can be a brief blank stare. They can be a, um, a sudden jerk, usually of the, of the arms or legs. Um, they can be uh, uh, about a minute of just staring off and not responding to questions or um, and, and, and being amnestic or, or forgetting what happened, not, not being aware of what happened during that period of time. Or they can evolved into uh, what we um, think of as a grand mal or tonic-clonic seizure. So there's quite a spectrum. Um, the the physical appearance of the seizures typically relates to where in the brain the seizure starts and how far how how much the seizure has spread. Um, those those um, those symptoms that I had mentioned earlier, those very mild symptoms of um, the intense deja vu and the the rising sensation, sometimes with a sweat or strange smell or taste, that's usually a, a, a seizure that, that it becomes limited to an area in the temporal lobe. Um, if, if that leads to then a period where patients are staring off and not responding to their loved ones or to their teacher um, or their, their coworkers for a minute or two, that usually is a seizure that then has spread to both of the temporal lobes or both of the frontal lobes, and then the ones that then further progress to the convulsion that involves the entire brain. That's basically a, a seizure that has spread to involve, uh, you know, both hemispheres of the brain. And so that the, that spectrum of the mild, moderate, and severe type of seizure, when we're dealing with focal seizures, um, usually has to do with how how much the seizure has spread.
1: So much information, so important. Uh- Dr. Millette, we have to take our half hour break, but we will be right back. And I want to ask you about the psychological effects of dealing with seizures and epilepsy. And I want you to explain what grand mall seizure actually means. Where did that name come from? I have so many more questions for you. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Bruce Cook. It's the conversation tonight on KLAA with Dr. David Millette, Chief of Neurology at Hogue Hospital.
3: Radio
0: AME 30.
3: Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute at Hogue is ranked in the top 1% in the nation by U.S. News and World Report. It provides world-class care through multidisciplinary expert teams, each focusing on specific disorders of the brain and spine, such as stroke, aneurysms, brain tumors, Parkinson's disease, cognitive disorders including Alzheimer's, epilepsy, back pain, as well as spinal cord issues, addiction medicine, and sleep disorders. Our renowned experts offer the best evidence-based care, state-of-the-art technology, and the latest clinical research, all focused on the individual patient. Our stroke program was the first in Orange County named as a Certified Comprehensive Stroke Center, and our Brain Tumor Program is the largest in Orange County and among the top volume programs in the Western United States. Hiccup Family Neurosciences Institute, Compassionate Care, Clinical Excellence, Creative Intelligence. To learn more, call 949-516-9075 or visit hoag.org forward slash neuroinstitute.
1: Asking for help in life takes bravery. Women addicted to alcohol and drugs know this very well. Most suffer silently while their lives fall apart. Their children and their families in crisis. For more than 40 years in Southern California, new directions for women has helped addicted women recover in a nationally recognized treatment facility in Costa Mesa. Their doors are wide open. It just takes the first step. Call New Directions for Women. The number is 888 786 0509. Again, 888 786 0509. You can also visit them at www. NewDirectionsforWomen.org. New Directions for Women. They know recovery.
0: With Patriotssoftware.com, accounting and payroll. Keep your time and money. Mike Capel
3: here, serial entrepreneur. I started my business in a dingy basement of a factory in 1986. Instead of customers, my visitors were rats, birds, flies, and snakes. To psych myself up that I was going to succeed, I wore formal business attire and a tie to that lonely factory basement every day. I needed help. That's why I created Patriot Software to help small businesses with simple payroll for one to 100 employees. Our payroll starts at just $10 a month. And if you need help, we will help you for free. Go to PatriotSoftware.com. Use promo code RADIO and get two months of payroll processing free. That's PatriotSoftware.com.
0: With PatriotSoftware.com, accounting and payroll, keep your time and money. Angels Radio. AM 830.
1: I'm Bruce Cook. The Bruce Cook Conversation tonight, live on Angels Radio. Dr. David Millette, my very special guest tonight. We're learning a lot. As I said at the top of our hour, personal growth. That's our mantra. We are learning people. It's important to learn. It's not good to be stupid. That's my message. Dr. Millette, what is grand mall seizure? We everybody heard has heard of the, the wording grand mall. What does that mean?
2: So Grand mal is um, it's a French term that arose in the mid uh, 19th century in the 1800s. Prior to that, epilepsy was considered a mental disease, um, uh, insanity uh, related closely related to insanity, and and persons with epilepsy were um, were institutionalized in asylums. Um, so, when in the middle of the 1800s, they were. Um, uh, medicalized. Um, it was understood that epilepsy became a medical disease or disorder and um, physicians started to study it. Um, they, they made a very crude classification into those seizures that involved um, these very dramatic um, uh, convulsive movements, what we now refer to as a tonic-clonic seizure um, where the limbs become stiff Um, Oftentimes, uh, there's foaming at the mouth, uh, problems with salivation, the eyes roll back. Sometimes patients will turn um, gray or or sometimes even cyanotic or blue for a few moments. Um, Those those were considered the grand mal, the big bad seizures, as opposed to the petty mal, or the little bad seizures, in which case uh, patients would often uh, stop and stare, sometimes have some unusual uh, behaviors associated with them, but, um, but but nothing as dramatic as the, the, the convulsion. So a grand mal, uh, that's where the term arose from um, and now really refers to um, convulsive seizures or tonic-chronic seizures. Those are oftentimes interchangeable.
1: Well, you gave me a perfect setup. I'm glad I asked that question because what I really want to know, the psychological trauma that is put upon a person, especially a young person or a child, having these seizures in a school classroom or with friends or whatever. And it's interesting that you explain that in the very early days, people were considered insane and they were institutionalized. And that stigma lasted for centuries until modern medicine was able to deal with it. So even still, being able to deal with it, and as you have explained so eloquently in the last forty minutes, that there are medicines that can control it, a person can have a wonderful and normal life. Is there still a stigma, especially for a child, or even for a person in business who may have a responsible job and even on medication may suffer a seizure in a public situation?
2: Absolutely. Um, thank you for bringing it, you know, bringing it up tonight. Um, there is still a significant stigma. Um, I I take care of a wide variety of individuals from those who uh, basically are under the care of family members and loved ones because their disease is so severe to um, individuals who function as um, uh, professionals, accountants, lawyers, doctors, CEOs of companies. And there is still a tremendous concern um, uh, that that individuals have about um, having seizures, having them in public, having them have, being observed or witnessed by their loved ones, by their family members, who can become traumatized by the seizures themselves, but but particularly in, in the workplace, in school, um, uh, and even um, and, and even quite quite a lot of concern about others even knowing that they suffer from epilepsy out of Fear that they will be stigmatized in some way, so I run into this very often on a daily basis.
1: I understand. I, in reading a little bit about your background, that before you came to Orange County and Hogue Hospital, while you were at UCLA and USC in Los Angeles, you established a, a very important program at the Rancho Los Amigos National Rehabilitation Center for advanced <coughs> epilogical care for countless members of local LA community that were so-called underserved patients what was that all about and how does that tie in to the fact that care for this this trauma and this disease maybe not well well handled for lack of a better word across the medical spectrum where there are people in so-called underserved areas where such care is not available?
2: Wow, what a setup. Where do I dig in? <laughs> um, well, I'll, I'll take you back a little bit. Um, when I uh, completed my, uh, my training at UCLA in 2007, um, I, I took a position um, with Keck uh, and USC, and, UFC, and my, my job at the time was to um, build an epilepsy program Um, for the uh, Department of Health uh, Services in Los Angeles County. Uh, There, at the time, were 4 million individuals who did not have access to, uh, who who were not well-insured, so they did not have commercial insurance. They either were uninsured or had um, uh, uh, government-aided insurance, Medi-Cal, that did not really grant them access to high-level epilepsy care. And, um, and that had been recognized for quite some period of time. At LA County USC, there was a, there was a very, very busy a clinic um, only for patients with severe epilepsy. Um, we would see 50 to 70 patients in a, in a half day with an army of doctors. And what was really needed was a monitoring unit to figure out which of them could be cured with surgery and what kind of surgery was needed. And so my job was to build that program. And that's what I did. What about, about an it, orange? And I ran it.
1: I'm sorry. And what... so, Go ahead. Go ahead.
2: Yeah. So in, in orange, so I came here in 2014. And one of my primary goals uh, was to uh, recreate um, something uh, like what we had up in Los Angeles, for um, uninsured and underinsured patients. So um, after about two years, um, we did that. Um, We did that in conjunction with um, the Lusten Act Free Clinic in Orange, and um, and, and we did that with the um, co-sponsorship of um, the bill and nancy thompson uh, uh foundation their family foundation which um uh which very generously uh donated um uh, a gift that would underwrite the cost of providing that care as well as um hope charitable um hope charitable care program which which will underwrites the inpatient cost so uh, between the the, um, uh, the thompson family fund and hope we're able to provide the spectrum of care uh, the same spectrum of care to uh, the underserved in Orange County um, as those who have access to, um, uh, to commercial insurance and can get in, uh, you know, can have their, their services um, paid for. Um, it really is limited to those that, that suffer, from, um, suffer from significant disease and need help. Um, uh, it's really best to, um, to diagnose them and treat them So that they're not ending up getting uh, medical care in our emergency rooms um, and they can provide, they can work, they can provide care for their family, et cetera. So, um, so, yeah, we're able to provide that at Lespinac. I'm very, very grateful to the Thompson family um, and to Hogue for, for, and to Lespinac for providing the platform of making that happen.
1: Sounds pretty special. Quickly, before we have to take our next break, I want to switch back to some of the triggers i doing a little bit of reading, which I know is dangerous. You know, people go online now to self-diagnose and find things out. And uh, I caution uh, listeners tonight, don't always believe what you read and don't always interpret it wrong. So with that caveat, I, I bring this up because I read this, but are things like abuse of alcohol or drugs, um, heavy stress, um, sleep disorder sleep deprivation do these things lead to epilepsy Uh, according to the internet they might
2: so those things can all lead to what we call provoked seizures and the one of the first jobs of an epileptologist is to um, determine whether or not uh, a patient's seizure is a provoked seizure related to any one of those things that you mentioned for example um, uh, uh, obstructive sleep apnea, or withdrawal from alcohol or benzodiazepines, or actually there are some other medications that when you're taking them can lower your seizure threshold and make it more likely to have a seizure. So is it one of those things, or is this, obviously this is a symptom of an underlying um, brain disorder that, uh, that has the potential to recur and needs to be managed? Um, in most cases, the things that you mentioned are triggers uh, for seizures, but not for epilepsy. Epilepsy is an underlying brain disorder that predisposes an individual to having further seizures um, in life.
1: Great explanation. So, Great explanation. Let me ask yeah. you: We got to take our, our third break, Doctor Millette. But when we come back, you mentioned epileptologist. We got to know what the difference is between an epileptologist and a neurologist and then I want to talk I want to conclude our time together talking about when is it necessary and appropriate to have surgery and what kind of surgery do you perform stay with me ladies and gentlemen I'm Bruce Cook it's the conversation with Dr David Mallet we will be right back
3: 30. As part of the Pickup Family Neurosciences Institute, Hoag's NeuroSpine program offers innovative methods to reduce pain, inflammation, and improve mobility safely and effectively, often without surgery. Should you need surgery, Hoag is the leader with minimally invasive techniques, 3D imaging, and robotics to restore your golf swing or your swing dance. Many of our patients go home in just a few hours walking the very next day. Call our dedicated nurse navigator at 949-537-2931 for an evaluation or visit hoag.org forward slash spine
2: The Philips 4K Android TV will transform your TV experience like you've never seen before. Experience dramatic imaging, extreme details, and lifelike colors with thousands of movies and shows from Netflix, YouTube, and others on this Philips Android TV. And the best part? Use the TV's remote control with Google Assistant Voice Search to become part of the action. From watching the Angels play live to watching their magic recaps and highlights, you won't have to miss a second of the action ever again.
1: to help you one easy call to optima can start the process helping to put an end to your worries of wage garnishment asset seizure and other aggressive irs actions make today the beginning of your fresh start with the irs call the experts at optima tax relief now for your free confidential consultation call 800-375-2922 800-375-2922
0: 800-375-2922 Optima Tax
3: Relief. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com.
0: Angels baseball is back. That ball
3: is out of air. The Halos are heating up in the Arizona
0: sun while they warm up for the regular season. Home run, Mike Trout. It's a primer for Mike Trout and company as they take on the rest of the Cactus League. And you can catch
3: Angels spring training games exclusively on Fox Sports West or stream them live on Fox Sports Go. Fox Sports West and Fox Sports Go,
0: your home for Angels baseball.
3: I'm Lauren Dusky, a singer-songwriter from Northern Michigan, and I'm back on air with Boot Barn.
2: I had the honor to be your granddaughter.
3: I could only hope to be half of the whole that you both were. You loved me. Learn more about the movement at bootbarn.com slash back on air.
0: Angels Radio, AM 830.
1: And that is the weekend, everybody's singing, because this is the weekend, and I'm on the air this weekend. It's Bruce Cook. The conversation on Angels Radio. We're having a great, informative, interesting time with Dr. David Millet, chief of neurological sciences at Hogue Hospital here in Orange County. David, tell me about what an ep- epileptologist does as opposed to a neurologist. <laughs> um, it's
2: a great question. So, an epileptologist is a is a subspecies of neurologist. Uh, we, we've all gone through uh, neurology training. Um, I did a three-year uh, neurology residency, and then after that, an additional two years were spent um, s- solely dedicated to the diagnosis and treatment of patients with epilepsy. So it's a it's a subspecialization within neurology. Um, we really have the as epileptologists, we have the the the, the, di- the know-how, uh, the experience. And the access to diagnostic tools like genetics and long-term video EEG um, and advanced brain imaging to best diagnose patients who come to us with seizures, Um, either, uh, either their first lifetime seizure or a lifetime of seizures and looking for a cure.
1: When do you know that surgery is the best option? How do you diagnose it? And are you also a surgeon, or is there another uh, practice of surgery in neurology?
2: So uh, I'll answer, take them in reverse. They're a little bit easier that way. I am not a neurosurgeon, but I work pretty closely with a neurosurgeon. Um, um, I work uh, very closely with with a number of them. Um, So Dr. Zizek Mehta is our epilepsy neurosurgeon at Hogue Hospital, um, but we, I've worked with a number of them over the years. Dr. Charles Liu uh, up at Keck USC, we've worked together for many years, and Dr. Liu um, has also supported our program at Hope for a number of years wh- while we were launching. Um, so w- we work quite closely together planning surgeries, um, uh, but, I, but I actually don't, don't do the surgery myself. I, as Dr. Liu once put it, um, I, I, I draw the dotted line for them. I have to figure out what part of the brain uh, to remove safely that will render the patient seizure-free. Very interesting. So that's, that's sort of my, my task when we get um, into, the, into the weeds of um, drug-resistant epilepsy. You, you ask the question of when, when the surgery um, indicated. Uh, when do we think about surgery? Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you a couple of numbers that will... Um, That will shed some light on that. So, if you took a thousand um, individuals who came to our care for their um, for their with a diagnosis of epilepsy, we could medically control half of them with the first medication that we chose. We could probably get about another 15% with the second medication if the first one failed to adequately control seizures. And then about four or five percent with the third medication. So as you can see, this is a law of diminishing returns. And once a patient has failed two or more medications, we refer to that as drug-resistant epilepsy. And I see my job as giving patients information. This is this is your chance of, of of finding a medication with me or a combination of medications that's going to control your seizures versus this is the chance, your your uh, po- possibility of becoming seizure-free following epilepsy surgery. Um, and then we basically work with them over uh, on the risks and the benefits of those two pathways.
1: What if a patient does well on the medicine but says, I don't want to live like this. I want the surgery. What do you say?
2: Um... That we we run into that every once in a while. Um, in most cases, surgery isn't a substitute for medications. Um, even in the best hands and with the best outcomes, patients who undergo epilepsy surgery still re- stay on medications for at least a year or two years after, um, after successful uh, epilepsy surgery. And then if they don't have any seizures at that point in time, then we we begin to back off on their anti-seizure medications, but it, their uh, epilepsy surgery is elective brain surgery. It does come with certain risks um, associated with it, and if seizures can be well controlled with medications, we don't generally recommend um, the um, entertaining those risks unless there are extenuating circumstances. And there are some some of those cases
1: once an, once in a while. We don't. In our last couple of minutes together, what about the effect of COVID? What has that done to your practice? What has that done to people suffering from seizures and or epilepsy? Has it made it worse?
2: Um, I, I don't believe there's any published data yet on um, on COVID and, the, and any change in seizures with COVID. I personally have seen... A handful of patients who have um, experienced more seizures or um, more um, symptoms of depression, anxiety, brain fog, um, like many people who've who've who contracted COVID, um, on on a couple of occasions, I've seen patients who seem to have an increase in seizures around um, just following a vaccination, which in some ways is similar to. The infection itself, and in that it triggers this in immunological cascade. And we do know now that there is a close relationship between the nervous system and the immune system. Some uh, some types of epilepsy can be can be um, fueled by um, antibodies and autoimmune conditions. So um, so there may be in some uh, unusual instances an increase of seizures with with either COVID or with vaccinations. But, um, but we have not seen uh, that occur on, in large scale. I've only seen a handful of, of those patients.
1: Dr. Millette, how do we reach you? I know we've run a, run a couple of commercials during our time together that talks about your program. But if anybody's listening and maybe they got a pen in hand, maybe even in their car, give us the website. Give us a phone number. Tell us how to get in touch.
2: Sure. Um, so uh, the, probably the easiest thing to do would be to Google Hogue Epilepsy Program, and you can find information there. Um, our, our our clinic number is uh, 949-764-1843, um, and, um, and we'd be quite happy to see uh, and answer any, any questions that, that folks have in, in the clinic. Um, it's been a real uh, pleasure talking with you, Bruce. Um, and I hope we've been able to help and enlighten some of your your listeners this afternoon.
1: David Millette, you have done that. you have you have succeeded in my promise to an, to uh, seek personal growth on the radio. It's a rarity. I'm proud of it. I'm proud of you. I thank you so much. You really have uh, imparted such great information tonight. And I hope somebody out there has learned something that's going to help them. Anyway, again, thank you so much. And to my listeners tonight, remember, stay safe, stay well, keep happy, and above all, do the best you can at all times. Good night, everybody. Thanks for joining the conversation. Good night. Good luck.
0: You've been listening to the Bruce Cook Conversation. Hear the Bruce Cook Conversation on Sundays at 6 p.m. Pacific on AM 830 KLAA. And hear the podcasts of every show on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, and Radio
2: Public.